it's the third Mental Health Sunday I've done, and so we're still tinkering with it. Um, and I know I need to bring that thing down from an hour and 10 minutes or whatever I went in the first, the first service. I leave out some, and I think I've cut it down to an hour and two minutes, maybe something like that. And so the goal is to get it to 50 minutes. And I do appreciate all your kind words and your and all that. But, but still, I need to pare this thing down. Now, what I did, I, the mis mistake I made was that I did uh, combine two sessions into one. And so uh, typically when we're doing these meetings, we're doing three sessions, a Sunday school, a morning service, and an and a, and a evening service. And so, but there are some churches, I did do one church in Arizona where they just had two services like we did just because of room. And, uh, and, and I, th I went an hour and 10 minutes, and I thought for sure, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna cut this thing down, right? I, and I still went an hour and 10 minutes, I'm sorry. We won't go an hour and 10 minutes, I promise you. I shouldn't say I promise, that's, that's bad, so. But, but really, my goal, my intentions are good, right? And uh, to try to try to prepare that, but I, I really don't think, I, I don't think we will. So, so be, be praying. Um, this, is a, um, this is a unique ministry, and, and, and I know, just the honest truth, are, are some people are, it just especially in our circles, just kind of freak out about stuff like this, for lack of a better way of put, putting it. There are just some, uh, some churches, some pastors that are, are not comfortable with my approach. Because I'm going to be very real. I was very real this morning. I'm going to be very real today. I'm going to tell you what helped me. And I needed help. I couldn't do it myself. And, uh, and a lot of people aren't comfortable with that idea that somebody who's preaching from behind a pulpit would say, I wasn't strong enough to figure this thing out myself. I needed some, I needed some help. And then the kind of help that I got as well. Now, we, that, that's, that's, that's really just garbage. Um, sometimes, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get ahead of myself there, but so, so, so would you pray? But the exciting thing is there are a number of pastors and churches who know that we need to do better with this. We need to do better. And, and so um, we already have some meetings set up even into, to, in, into uh, 2021. It, it's exciting. Um, but at the same time, I know, here's the reality with, with me, I know I have to be careful. I don't want to get, get ahead of the Lord. I, I do still need to take some steps to take care of my mental health. So Brother Jay, you still struggle? Yes, I do. I do. And, and so I have to be careful. And, uh, and even in, in my itinerary ministry, I, I'm out preaching and, 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 and just other subjects, just general preaching. And preaching all day is tiring. I mean, your pastor does that every single week, and it's just physically tiring. Um, and so when I do that, it is tiring. But this is just a little different level for me. And so I already plan on planning it tomorrow. We're going to take a day off. Uh, I'm going to go sit at a, a place in Corona Del Mar with, with my wife. We're just going to bring our chairs. We're going to sit in the sunshine and, and, uh, and just soak up some sun. I'm going to talk about that here in just a little bit. Um, and if I can get out of bed, <laughs> so pray for me. Um, but uh, uh, I'm going to have coffee. That's one of the, the most mean-spirited things I heard Pastor say. He said it's, he said, he said it's just coffee. Just coffee. Where where is he? So all right. Um, but just I love coffee. All right. So I'm going to have some coffee and enjoy it, and uh, and maybe do some reading, or maybe just sit, right, and just enjoy my wife and 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 hold hands with her, stuff like that. I mean, simple stuff that's really important for our mental health. Um, and uh, uh, so, so we just kind of plan things that way and just meeting, just, be, just, just careful. I'm capping it, uh, just I'm careful to cap it. As Pastor said, I will be gone for two months straight. And so pray for me in that. We'll, 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 we'll still be here on, uh, on Wednesday nights. But um, uh, so also, I'd also like to invite you, if you're interested in doing some more learning, um, I, I've started a, uh, a ministry Facebook page called The Climb Ministries, The Climb Ministries. So Che, if you're on Facebook, look that up. Um, but also friend me first. I'm like, oh, let's be friends, you know, but, uh, and, then, and then go ahead and go find my, uh, my ministry page. And we try to put some content on there and, and some links to stuff that'll be very, very helpful. Um, and so, so check that out as, as, you, as you can, if that might be helpful to you, especially in the areas. A lot of people come to me with some, uh, um, just some reading recommendations, and, and, and I have that on there. Um, and that's mostly for if you want to, um, just to get some empathy, um, you want to help other people, um, that's what those books are. We have to be careful. What I've found is somebody has depression and give them a book assignment. 
Um, again, that can be really difficult. I'm going to talk about that in, ju in just a minute. Um, it can be really, really frustrating. All right. So, so tonight, um, the climb. The climb. That's the name uh, uh, I, I've chosen to uh, um, to name our ministry, the climb, and it's a continuing journey. I want to be 100% real um, that it, it is where I am on the other side of it. I do. I have experienced uh, much grace from the Lord and much healing, but at the same time, there is a continuing journey in this. Of course, I hope to become the person I was, to return to the person I was July 25th, 2014. I'm not. I'm a very different person. I, I think I mentioned that some um, this morning where I was always um, uh, just, just, just an optimistic guy. I, I felt like we can, uh, as a youth pastor, um, every, every young man, we're going to turn into a preacher. We, we can change the world. I, I mean everything. We've got, I've got a few former youth group um, people here. And you could add, don't ask Marquise because he'll just lie. Um, but um, no, uh, but uh, you just, you know, I, I think as they knew me, they knew me, I, I was stable. Right. You know, I, I was I was I was normal. I was a cheerful. I was a cheerful person. And uh, just, just to know I, I and I still I have the joy of the Lord. Praise God for it. But one of the big, one thing that's different about me now, I have the tendency to go into sky is falling mode. That never was me. But now that is me. And I have to be careful. But one of the big things, at least I know there's an issue with that and acknowledging our weaknesses. All right. Our issues. It can be very, very helpful. And we could put it in perspective. Oh, that's me being me. <laughs> and I, and I, can, I can slow down. I can take a step back and take a couple deep breaths and just kind of think through this, all right, cognitively, all right, and then settle everything back down. All right, the climb. Well, let, let's pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the soul that was saved this morning, God. Uh, but only imagine, as you described for us, Lord, uh, the rejoicing in heaven. I thank you, God, dear God, that, that my, my mom had opportunity to, to, to rejoice and, and some of us in here have loved ones that are there that had opportunity to rejoice this morning over this, uh, this, this precious soul that was saved. Thank you so much, Lord. And God, I pray that as we look into your word once again, uh, that you'd, you'd give us much grace to learn what we need. Good for life, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I want you to take this in a couple ways. You might be hurting. I encourage you to talk to someone. See the pastor. See the pastor's wife. Come talk to me. All right, and let's, let, let's, help, you, let's help you through that. All right. If you're not struggling, all right, that's fine. Praise the Lord for that. Now, think of this stuff as preventative maintenance, all right? And some people are more to to with this stuff, and, and some people are not. Um, have, any, have you heard of, there's a, a, a documentary out called Free Solo. Anybody heard of that? It's about the, um, uh, yes, the, the rock climber. Um, and, and free soloing means you, you climb up a big old rock without any ropes or anything, right? Anyone ever been to Yosemite? And seen El Capitan, big old granite, sheer granite rock, one of the, the largest in the world. So he climbed that thing without any ropes, all right? He's alive. And so, I mean, he does this. I mean, it, it's crazy. I have a problem with heights, as it is, all right? And so I had a problem just watching this documentary. I was, I was getting busy. I was saying, Lord, what are we doing here, all right? And, and so, but so they did an MRI of this guy's brain. They just wanted to study. It's like, what's up with this guy? How can he do this and climb up this thing? And it turned out, and we talked about the physiology of the brain this morning, right? And his part of the brain, remember the choir? We had the soprano section, the amygdala, the emotional part of the brain, all right? And they tried to light that up with emotion and fearful things. His amygdala does not light up very easily. He just doesn't have the fear response that normal people do. And so he stands up at a sheer cliff like this. He can do that, no big deal, right? If I've got a sheer cliff at the Grand Canyon, I'm only comfortable if I'm over here, <laughs> Right? And I'm tethered to something. But he's, his brain is just wired differently. And all of us are kind of that way. Some of us are more reactive, and you've known that. You see, let's, let's be honest. Some, some of us are, are more emotional than others, right? And that's okay. That's okay. Some of it comes from some, maybe some, some, uh, some deep, intense uh, situations or events in our past. Remember the hippocampus? All right, and those things come and rear their ugly head every once in a while. Sometimes we're just designed that way. Some people are emotional. Some people just are not. And so wherever you are in stage of life, whether you think you're prone to it or not, I would have told you I'm, I'm just not prone to that. that that's, um, you know, I, I'm just a positive guy. That, that's more than likely not going to happen to me. It happened to me. It happened to me. Right, so I want you to think of this in, in a preventative way, but also just in a way. Now, this, none of this turns any of us into licensed therapists or professional counselors, all right? So stop, let's not try to be that, okay? A lot of this stuff 
um, just knowing this will help us how to be really good Christian friends, really good Christian fan, friends, and, 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 and it'll help us know how to love people through the hardest times in their lives. And that's really some of the power of the stuff that I believe that God has brought me through. Let's show you a couple of verses. So the climb, here's how I was able to climb out of this thing. All right, first verse we have, do I have a, what's our next slide? I'm going to remember. All right, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, consider this, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. The Bible said peace is meant to be multiplied unto us, right? We all want to live in peace. We, we looked at um, how the psalmist in the, this morning, Psalm 42, he says, why, soul, why are you disquieted within me? There's no peace. There's a lot of anxiousness, right? But it, it can be. God wants to multiply peace to us through the knowledge of God. Right, now, now catch that. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. Now, now there, there's a big distinction I want to make. This is really important. It doesn't say through the knowledge of the scriptures. Now, everything comes back to the Bible. Don't get me wrong, but just hang with me here. So grace and peace should be multiplied unto us by, a, by what we know about God. Now, how do we know God? Through the scriptures, right? Now, next verse. Look at verse number three. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through what? The knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So he's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through what? Through the scriptures? No, not necessarily. Through the knowledge of him, what we know about God. And so a lot of these tools that are going to help guide us, that's going to help, help us know what's acceptable for the Christian and the type of help that we should be able to seek is not necessarily spelled out in the scriptures line by line, jot and tittle, but by what we know about God. I'm going to show you some examples of that in just a minute here. Next verse, please. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So now we're talking very, very distinctly about the Bible, right? Last passage, we're talking about the knowledge of God, what we know about God. Here's, here's the Bible. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, praise God for that, and is profitable for these things. Doctrine, if you want to learn about doctrine, get your Bible. Reproof, sometimes we need to reproof, reprove one another. Correction for instruction in righteousness, right? So it's not instruction in righteousness. That's where we go to the Bible very specifically, not instruction in diabetes control. And let's just be real here. And I'm not saying throw out the Bible. I'm saying, hey, we're not going to find all the answers uh, detailed in the writings of Scripture. We're not. But still, what we know about God and we study the Bible, we know how he works, we can find help and healing through that. Here's a big example. So don't go to that next verse yet. All right, so in Isaiah, there's this interesting guy by the name of Hezekiah. He's a king. He's a good man. He's a powerful man. One day, the angel of the Lord comes into him and says, Hezekiah, you're dead meat. All right, the Bible says he was sick unto death. It says, you are going to die. And Hezekiah didn't want to die, and he begged God for his life. Please heal me. I don't want to die just yet. There's so much more I need to do, right? So he pleaded with God, and then God comes back to him and says, okay, we've, I've heard your prayers, and now you're going to be healed. The Bible says he was sick unto death. He was going to be killed. So it took a miracle to save him. So it was all about God. And if you look at Isaiah chapter 38, I think, then, um, Hezekiah gets overwhelmed with God and his goodness, and he writes a song about that, about how good God is and how God spared his life. Go ahead and go to that next slide for me. Isaiah 38, 5. Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, and I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days 15 years. It's a miracle, right? Praise God. You go to God, you trust God, all you is God, right? And God's going to do it. Just trust God. You don't, need, you don't need a therapist. You don't need a professional. This Bible of mine is newer to my use. I, um, it's a giant print Bible. Um, and I had a very small Bible for a long time. I think you could picture. I just had this, this, this very small Bible. And it was almost a, a, almost a pride thing for, for me because I would open it up. See, the letters were so tiny. It's like, you can see that. It says, yep, I'm young. All right? I'm still young. I'm 42 years old, still young. And I said, and I'm 45 now. But all of a sudden, that little Bible, for some reason, I start, for me to be able to see it, it had to go further and further and further and further away. 
And I'm like, okay, I can keep doing this, but all of a sudden, my arms wasn't long enough. I was like, I got to do something about this, right? And then so I switched Bibles, right? Now, I did. I asked the Lord to help my eyes. I did, because I, I'm just kind of vain, and I, I don't want it's glasses, but I don't know. I just feel weird. I guess until you take the leap into glasses, it feels weird for us, right? And, and, and so I, I don't want to wear glasses yet, and, uh, but I know eventually I'm going to have to do something with that, right? Now, would anybody ever say, well, Jay, you're not, you're, you, you give it to God. You don't need a giant print Bible, brother. You, you, you need to trust God with your eyes. You pray, okay, if you, if you truly believe that trusting God, that healing from God only comes in these ethereal, miraculous ways, then don't use glasses, <laughs> right? Don't use these tools. So here's the thing, what we know about God. Does God speak specifically to every single struggle, to our eyesight, to weight loss, to cancer, to these that? No, actually he doesn't. But here's one thing I know of it. Zechariah was on his deathbed, and then God says, he asked God, Spirit, God says, I will spare your life. Miracle from God, right? Next verse. And this is how God spared Isaiah's life. For Isaiah had said, let them take a lump of figs and lay it for a plaster upon the boy, and he shall recover. He said, okay, trust me, Hezekiah. I've got a miracle for you. I'm going to save your life. Now go take some medicine. That, that's actually what it's saying. That's what it's saying, folks. All right. I think we need to get out of this mindset that we can't use tools that are available to us. Eye, eyeglasses, they're tools, right? Medication times are tools that can be used. And we need to get out of this mindset that, um, of, of condemnation, of judgment, especially if you are not a medical professional. I said it this morning. But not just that. If you are not that person's medical professional, stay out of their medical business. Stay out of it. It's unethical um, for, for a pastor. And I, I've, I've heard horror stories of this. The, like I said, as I've been on this transparency tour and people have, have, uh, um, have reached out to me and they try to get help from, their, um, uh, from, from pastoral staff or what have you. And, and the first thing they, they want to do is get them away from professionals and get them off their medication. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that should be the first thing that we run to, but it does have its place. And there is biblical precept for it. There is. Whether you're taking care of your pancreas or you're taking care of your brain, yes, trust God. Ask him for a miracle. And then take your medicine. Take it. Wear your glasses. Trust God through it all. But wear your glasses. So here's the first thing for me as far as my climb. I'm going to write it up, put it up there. Professional help. Professional help. Yeah, you're, wait, I, I thought you are a minister, a preacher. Yeah, I am. And I needed professional help. You were here this morning, you heard my story. And once again, I'll say, if you could hear that story, you think it's bad, but come on, I, I, it's not that bad. Fair enough, it's fine, it's fine. I'm feeble-minded, you're supposed to comfort me. I'm weak, you're supposed to support me. You know, you're not supposed to condemn me. You know, I, I'm irrational, you're supposed to be patient with me. All right, don't, don't condemn me. And that's how we should function as a church. You strong ones, we need you. We need you, right? So what happened in the winter of 2017, at my, at my previous church, Lighthouse Baptist Church in Laverne, worked there for 22 years, I, I, drove a, I drove a church bus, and so every couple of years you have to go in for a physical uh, just to make sure you don't die while you're driving kids around, right? They just want to make sure you're healthy. And so I went in for my physical, and uh, eyesight's great still at the time. You know, I, you know, I could see the, the smallest thing, right? And probably because it was far away. Um, but uh, but they, then they sat me down and put the blood pressure cuff on. I remember seeing the number, and, and I thought it was weird, never seen that number before, but then it was really weird that the nurse didn't say anything, left the room immediately, came back with a couple people. They said, okay, sir, we need you to take a couple breaths. Hold on, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and put the blood pressure cuff on you again. We just need you to try to relax as best you can. Put it on there, or it was a little bit better. It was 180 over 120, right? Very, it pretty, that's pretty high. And so I failed it miserably, and, the, and the, the, the doctor there said, you need to get to your general, your general doctor right away, and we've got to figure out what's going on. I already knew what was going on. I knew I was struggling very, very badly with my mental health. I was having the, the depression, the anxiety, the panic attacks um, were coming, and, and it was always on my mind. I couldn't rest, couldn't sleep, none of that stuff, right? So I went to my pastor at the time, and I, I told him, and, and he'd known some, 
I didn't open up the whole ugly thing. But I told my pastor, I said, hey, pastor, I failed the physical. Hold my blood pressure. I said, pastor, I knew I was dying. <laughs> I knew I had a feel just because of the way I felt. My body always hurt. I had migraine. I never had migraines before. Actually, I didn't know there were migraines until I shared this with a friend. It's like pain right here. I mean, like worst pain right here. It's like, yeah, just right in that spot right there. That, that, those are migraines you're having. I was like, wow. I mean, one thing, you can ask Brad about one night I was having a migraine so bad. I, and she, was, she, she just thought it was just the weirdest thing, and it, was, it scared her a little bit. I said, Brenna, I just want you to make sure that you have this file here that has all of our passwords to everything and all of our financial stuff. And I was like, what are you talking about? This migraine was so bad, I, I was wondering if I was going to die of an aneurysm. It was, it was just so terrible. And so anyway, so I went into uh, my, my, so my, my pastor. He, he knew, knew we were in an emergency there. He contacted a man by the name of Doug Fisher. Some of you may have heard Pastor Doug Fisher, a high-profile pastor down in San Diego. He's been very public about his battle with depression and uh, to see if he was willing to talk to me. And he was willing to talk to me. And I said, yes, please, that's the guy I need to talk to, right? But they said, I'm willing to talk to him, but, but let me give you this, this, this name of this, this man I know. Um, and uh, it's a man by the name of Dr. Bill Pasquini, and he's an independent fundamental Baptist pastor, King James, all of that, right? But it also turns out he has a PhD in psychology, and he's a licensed therapist as well. He works with Marines that suffer with PTSD, he works with the public school, with those that are having serious um, uh, uh, behavioral issues. Um, he's a professional, right? So I got together with him. And he asked some questions right away. And he's the one, he said, you know, brother, you've, you're at a, we, what we do in our field is we, we stage these, uh, your, uh, uh, your propensity or the danger you have for a complete um, uh, emotional or mental breakdown. He said, you're, you're at high risk for this. And you, you need to take a sabbatical. You need to take some time off. And I said, you need to take two months and we'll do, we'll, I'll, I'll counsel you through this. And we'll, we'll you know, we'll see, God's, God's going to do this. It's going to be okay. And so my church sent me on a two-month sabbatical. They, they took care of me, paid my full salary, all that, so I could let rest, learn to rest, learn a few things, and work with a professional. I needed professional help. A professional. Now, let, let me go back to especially what we talked about this morning. If we could have a church culture that invites complete transparency, that can eliminate the stigma of emotional difficulty and people could come in here and early on in traumatic situations or really difficult situations, very early on, they could cry out for help and, and send out a text or a phone call or talk to the pastor or whoever or some, some godly ladies in this room and just right away let people know I'm really struggling with this. And we learn how to bear burdens and we learn how to listen and we learn how, what not to say. I think we can, uh, I know, I know we can prevent having to get to this stage. I do know now on this side of it how this all could have been prevented. I do, I, I do know that now. I'm thankful for the lessons learned. And it's very important, I believe, to be able to pass that on. So professional, sometimes you need professional help. Sometimes you do. And that's okay. But a lot of times we just need good Christian friends, good good Christian counseling that knows that most of the time is more important than trying to teach someone something. But this is what I needed. Professional help it might be what you need as well. It might be. Uh, so the next, uh, uh, the next thing that, that, uh, that really helped me, I'd like to bring out, and then the next slide would say time, I think. Is that what we've got there, Joe? Time. Let me explain this. Proverbs chapter 18, 13 says this, He that answereth the matter before he heareth it it is folly and shame unto him. You know, it takes time to get the full story from somebody. It takes, it takes time. It takes a lot of time. Now, I, had, I was under the care of four different counseling situations through these, these, these four years of struggle, right? And, and two were just kind of okay, just insufficient. One, obviously, when I got together with, when I finally got under the care of Dr. Bill Pasquini, was what I needed. But there was one that was absolutely devastating. They were all Christian. Right. I think the first one was a, was just a it was a godly man. I think an evangelist had some specialized training. He was in the area. Me and my with him and his wife, and we we spoke for ninety minutes. It was good. It just wasn't enough time. You know, sometimes there are some things in life, right? You need counsel, and you can get it taken care of in forty five minutes. But there are some things where you're not going to scratch the surface in forty five minutes, right? It just wasn't enough time. Then I sought another uh, another place, professional Christian counseling place, um, and. Just wasn't enough time in one 
session, 50-minute session, the counselor who was still working on his licensure, um, getting, getting licensed, um, made the diagnosis of PTSD, which is, which is fine. I knew that was, there were some elements of that, but that was incomplete. It wasn't just PTSD. But then there was this man who was trained nuthetically. Anybody familiar with that, with that term, nuthetic counseling? Nuthetic counseling is, is, is biblical counseling, but it has as, at its core, one of its core beliefs, that all human suffering or emotional um, trouble, um, you can find its roots in some type of sin, some type of sin. So when you come at it with that foundation, it's going to drive you to some really bad counsel. And so here's the thing. So there's a couple really bad things that happened with this guy. So, so I was, was really struggling. Man was kind of known as kind of a, a counseling guru. He's mentored a lot of other counselors. He had retired, but um, but he would people begged him to pulled him out of retirement, paid his way to come come to our area and to be able to spend some time with me. And so before my session with him, he'd spent some time with the pastor and a couple other um, uh, church leaders, the people that I had never talked to. And so when we finally met, he sits down and he says, "This is it okay? You tell me everything you think I need to know." That's strange, right? He'd never talked to me yet. But as I started to go through this counseling session, it was very clear that he had already made a decision based upon what he heard from everybody else. What is that called? Hearsay. That's, we could even call that gossip. He never got the story from me. And so as we're going through this and I'm trying to correct the story and he's telling me, hey, so you, the, no, you sh the kids should have never been in the water. It was dark. I was like, no, it wasn't dark. It was afternoon. Right. It was uh, the, the, the sun set at nine o'clock and we had been searching for Paul's body for about 20, 30 minutes at that point. There was plenty of like that. That wasn't. But I, I couldn't correct him. He had already made his decision. He that answereth the matter before he heareth it. It is folly and shame unto him. Somebody comes to you or me with some with some serious issues. Just know it's going to take some time and some patience to hear the whole matter. Until you do, you can't answer it. You can tell them you love them. You can tell them you're going to be there for them, right? And then keep talking and keep talking. When I first talked to Dr. Bill Pasquini, I called him um, at night. He's a full-time pastor, has a full-time practice. And so he does his counseling with ministers um, late at night when he has uh, time that's free. And typically my time was sometimes 9, 10, or 11 o'clock at night. First time I talked to him, talked to him for about an hour. Okay, you know what, Brother Jay, this is, man, this is so hard what you've, what you've gone through. And I understand, I can't, yeah, like he said, I, I can't imagine the pain you've been through. You know what, I don't know what your core issues are. I don't know right now. You know, that was the biggest comfort to me. We talked for an hour and he said, yeah, I, I don't know what the deep root issues are. But then he said this, oh, we're going to work together. We're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out. And he said this, in his counseling practice, typically an intake session, when he brings in people that are struggling with mental health, typically their intake sessions take about four hours before they really start to figure out what's going on. And it, take, it took many, many hours of talking through these things for him to figure out, oh, yes, it was, a, it was a deep, deep loss, but why could I not get over this thing? And it was time that did this. And so the type of therapy, the type of help I got is... You, you may know it as cognitive behavioral therapy, right? It's also known as interpersonal therapy. And now that's a big thing. Now, interpersonal therapy hinges upon the relationship, how strong the relationship um, is between the counselor and the counselee. And so think about that now. In a, in a church setting with church leaders, we're going to be able to make the most headway with helping people if a good relationship is already built. Why? Because a good relationship screams safety to the one who needs help you're you're safe you, you can tell me for, for a couple of different reasons i'm not going to judge you i'm not going to give you an answer until i actually know what's going on and i'm not going to gossip that was one of the big things with dr basquini getting me to open up so because it was embarrassing and there was just some complex things going in going around the church and some of my relationships there that i couldn't talk to anybody but he kept assuring me says as a licensed therapist I am bound by law to confidentiality. If somebody sees me on the street and asks me if, uh, if I'm counseling you, I, I, I can't even confirm or deny that. So Brother Jay, I promise you, it stays here. I'm legally bound. And it took some time before I was safe and realized, okay, finally, here's the thing. 
This is not going to come up in somebody's uh, sermon illustration, right, or somebody's prayer chain. Okay, I'm not, I'm not against that, don't get me wrong, but I said we, we do need to be careful with that, right? Okay, and, and, and just really spend the time with me to figure out what's going on. So relationship building is big. Relationship building screams to the, the sufferer, it's safe. It's safe right here. But also, it allows us to be able to take some difficult truths into the sufferer if the need arises. Right? Think of Job, right? Job lost everything. Job, Job's wife, oh man, if you look at that, obviously she's hurting, right? Things are so bad, he look, she looks at Job, all of a sudden he is taken away from him. She looks at Job and says, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? She's hurting, right? But Job responds in a very interesting and very important way. What does he say? He says, no, let's be like one of the foolish women. But we're not going to do this to God. If he's going to bless, then he can take away as well. And we're going to praise his name, right? That's a difficult thing to speak into somebody who's hurting. But what was, what was the, the gateway into that? What was the relationship. He's the husband. And so that's why we should always work on having strong relationships because when the need arises to be able to speak difficult truths, we have the open door to do it. Not everybody has an open door to speak difficult truths into my life, right? And you know as well, it's like if some stranger comes up to you and starts pointing out your need to tithe or what have you, or whatever you're doing, right? You're probably not gonna take it, but if somebody knows you, you know, they know you, you can take that reproof, that admonishment in a much, much better way time time so at first so as i said dr Paschini, it was one of the strangely one of the most comforting comforting things i heard brother jay i don't know but we're go, i'm going to walk with you through this we're going to get it figured out and so but before he helped me figure out what were the root issues in here we got going on a couple things right away because these next two things that i'm going to talk about are just kind of all-encompassing for all of us whatever kind of mental um or emotional difficulty you're going through or not, and you need to prevent that, all right? Here are two things that right away he knew I needed to get on, all right? Next one is rest. One of the first questions he asked me is, Brother Jay, how, how are you? Terrible, terrible, Doc. And I probably averaged four hours of sleep a night. Sometimes it was one hour. And then every once in a while, I would shut down and I'd be down for 12, 14 hours. So it's been terrible, Doc. It's okay, we need, to, we need to work on that. He didn't know what the root issues were yet, but he knew We've got to take care of that one. And here's the thing we have to remember. Rest is a commandment of God. It's a commandment. He, he said it right from the beginning. You're going to go and work six days, but on that seventh day, you're going to rest. And it was so important to God that he left it as an example for all of us. And if the, if the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, needed to rest, we need to as well. And so I, I just, I, I couldn't rest. Rest, he said a couple things to me. He said, rest First of all, it's an act of obedience because God commands it, all right? And it's also, it's an act of humility. You know, I think one of the most damaging things, Pastor, that, that, that I think that go on in our movement is in these, these, these conferences or what have you. Maybe you heard it in Bible college like I did. A pastor getting up and saying, man, bless God, I work 70 hours a week and I don't need to take a vacation and I don't need to take a day off. You need to fix your life. And I, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but if you hear pastors preach that, that's pride, first of all, right? So rest, it's an act of it, but it's also a rest of humility because everyone, they, they, people could thunder away. It says, yeah, I, I work six hours a week and I haven't taken a vacation in years, all those things, right? How about somebody, one of these days I get up in a conference, I say, folks, God, I sleep eight hours a night. I take two days off a week. I max out my vacation. Bless God, every single year I take three weeks of vacation. Bless God. People are like, Oh, laziest preacher on earth right there, right? <laughs> no, nobody, nobody, it's going to be hard for anybody to admit to that, but those are all good things. Those are all good things. Vacation, hey Christians, max out your vacation. No, no, I'm serious, you need to. You need to, you're working hard all year. Max it out, take all the vacation time that you can. And, 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 and hey, so I don't have uh, um, money to... Uh, to go on big vacations. I'm not talking about going on big vacations. Just take time off, sleep in, read a book, binge watch something. <laughs> I mean, seriously, rest. So this is how you rest. And that's part of the thing. I also, I didn't know how to rest. A lot of times where I thought I was resting, I, I still felt like 
I had this obligation. If I was going to read something while I was on vacation, it was going to be something ministry-based. So what's going on? Even while I'm vacation, supposed to rest, I'm not disconnected from the ministry. My mind is still there. And so Doc Pasquini said, okay, you're going to take a sabbatical, and I don't want you to read anything ministry-based. What? So, no, you know, he said, hey, what, do you, what, do you, what do you do for fun? I preach. <laughs> I knock doors. Bless God. That's my fun, right? He's like, do you have any hobbies? Ooh, it just got kind of embarrassing at that point. I was like, man, I have no life. <laughs> my goodness. It's like, this is piercing, right? But I'm not good. Folks, get yourself a hobby. Do something that you just enjoy, just something for fun. So here's the thing, especially with preachers, everything that we do, eternity hangs in the balance. There's a lot of pressure in that. That's really exhausting. Every once in a while, or maybe more than every once in a while, I just need to pay attention to something where eternity doesn't hang in the balance. The chargers. Good thing eternity doesn't hang in the balance with our chargers, right, Pastor? We'd be in trouble. It's just something fun, something I enjoy. Cooking, donuts, coffee, pork rinds. Man, I just enjoy all those things, right? Every once in a while, every once in a while, don't think me a loser. Every once in a while, I could get on the and my boys enjoy. I will sit and play some Madden. I will make myself a franchise. And just a loser. I don't care. All right? And I will make myself my own team, and I will just, uh, yeah, I'll just go through and, and, and win a couple seasons just to plug. It's been a couple years since I've done something. I don't, don't think I do that every week or anything, but every once in a while I was like, okay, people, get out my face and let me create a franchise, right? Rest. Rest. You know, God designed our, our brains to recover during sleep. You know, the, these, this brain in here, it's a complex machine. And like most complex machinery, there's, there's some stuff that comes out that needs to be cleared away. And that's what's going on in our brains while we're asleep. The brain is cleaning itself up. It's recovering. It's making sense of some stuff. That's why sleep is very important. So I need professional help even getting to sleep. Um, I, I was asked some questions about sleep hygiene, and you could get into that. Um, the use of melatonin. Melatonin you can buy over the counter. It's a natural neurotransmitter that helps um, that set the patterns, right? And I tried melatonin, but I didn't, I didn't dose it properly. Now, with a, a medical professional can help me dose it, and, or po- using Benadryl. Uh, I would use Benadryl, at, you know, right before I fell, tried to fall asleep, and I'd wake up groggy. And so, Doc was able to get me to time that just right, take that a little bit early in conjunction with the melatonin, all that stuff. Now, you need to go talk to your doctor about that, medical professional. But these are some of the things that helped me get to sleep. I wasn't going to survive continuing sleeping three or four hours every single night. It wasn't going to happen. Now, am I doing Benadryl anymore? No, I'm not doing any of that anymore. All right? It was temporary, and that's okay. Reset, reset the sleep. I needed to rest. And then next, this is a bad word, exercise. All right? <laughs> exercise. Now, folks, listen. We are living really in the most depressed generations um, in the history of mankind. So here's the thing. It's an interesting thing. We, we, we have never been more depressed, but we've never been more stressed, and we've never been more sedentary than we are today. Just the truth. And so here's the, now think about it, how God designed creation to work. He, he created everything. It was all good, right? He said it. And he, he told Adam and Eve to dress and keep the garden. So from the beginning, God designed in man this responsibility and need to work, to work, right? I don't know exactly what they needed to do before the fall in the garden. I don't know, they're eating banana, right? Adam throws his banana peel, you know, somewhere, and Eve has to come pick up her. I don't know exactly, but they needed to dress it and keep it. They needed to take care of it. And then, of course, after that, then God says, now you're going to work for your food, right? And so humanity has always had stress. Right? Think about how stressful it is to take down that water buffalo for dinner. Right? That's some stress. But while you're doing it, you're working. And so there's endorphins running around and neurotransmitters and just really good things happening that's taking care of the stress within in that situation and taking care of our bodies. Exercise. So you ask me, hey, how are you sleeping? Terrible. You exercise? So I, I was kind of an exerciser at the time and um, I would run and all that stuff. He says, well, when, when do you do that? So well, real early, typically early in the morning, um, before the sun's up, when I had time. He says, you know what? You need to get some sunshine. You need to get some sunshine. So exercise in sunshine, all right? Now, so here's what we're going to talk. We're, we're 
going into, um, you know, pagan humanism here, right? I don't have a Bible verse for this sunshine thing, but you could look up the science. It's, it's undeniable. This what sunshine does on our skin and with the vitamin D and what it does with serotonin levels and things like that. It's amazing what God does, how God designed us to be in our environment for even just being in our environment, being outside helps us. Now, now typically you could read this, the stats. Um, depressions, uh, depression occurrences tend to spike in uh, places like the, like the upper Midwest, you know, during your winter where, where it's just cloudy and dreary and people aren't getting sunshine. The depression, uh, t- it, it tends to spike during those times. It just makes sense with those things. And so for me, I had to get out and exercise, but also get some sunshine, get some sunshine as well. And so now what I do for exercise, I don't run anymore because it's not that fun. Um, but, uh, but I do swim. And so I swim three or four times, uh, uh, three or four times a week. And, uh, cause I'm, you know, I'm getting old. And so the knees don't like the running so much. And so I need, uh, you know, I need the, the no, gra- you know, the no gravity stuff. And I swim, but I am an indoor swimmer, so I'm not getting sunshine. So on purpose, on purpose, I will sit out on the sunshine. I'm here getting work done at the, at the church. Um, right at midday, I'll get out get outside, make sure I walk, even if it's a little bit cold, if the sun's out, sun's out, gun's out, right? And I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not, I'm, I am still Baptist. I got to keep, keep, I've got a tan line right here because I, because I'm, because I'm a, because I'm a Baptist. It, it's, yeah. But, um, and so, but anyway, no, just even if I'm wearing long sleeves, I just hold them up, right? Make sure we get sunshine on the skin as much as possible. Even if I just sit in the sunshine for just a little bit. Back then, when I was trying to climb out of this thing, now for just preventative maintenance, hey, we're sitting in our cubicles, our offices all day, not getting any sunshine. If you're in an office that doesn't even have, have a window or anything, sedentary, these things are not good for our mental health. And, and studies show just exercising three or four times a week just as effective as most antidepressant medication. Just as effective these things. Before we need it, before we need it, so we don't need to get there. Exercise, exercise. And then so, as we began to talk, and we talked more and more and more and more, noticed, uh, I just wondered about uh, Doc Pasquini, um, there was a lot of small talk, right? And, uh, and I, at first I was like, man, is, this, is he just bored? He just needs, he needs someone to talk to? And I realized he was building a relationship with me. So we can get to this really important stage in the climb called burden bearing. Burden bearing. Right now, here's where the church really comes in. Because, you know, the Bible says this, this is really strong. Galatians 6 verse 2, right? Bear ye one another's burdens. I mean, that's all there and it's a command. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. Fulfill the law of Christ. How do you fulfill the law of Christ? By tithing? It, it, it never says that, actually. Fulfill the law of Christ by being that the Bible says you want to fulfill the law of Christ as you bear one another's burdens. Wow. wow, and that's but so here's the thing this puts a lot of responsibility on those who are carrying burdens, those who are suffering. Brother Kevin can't carry my burden unless he knows about it. Well, I am keeping him from being able to fulfill the law of Christ. It's my responsibility as someone who's hurting and suffering to open up. That's hard. It's scary. But if you're hurting today, think of it this way. When you open up, you give someone opportunity to fulfill the law of Christ. And guess what? They'll get stronger as well. Because when we carry each other's burdens, we all get stronger. It benefits, it benefits the, um, the, the family of God. So, and so, so it's imperative that we become transparent, that we have openness, that we talk, that we talk. A lot of people will do um, professional um, license type therapy and call it talk therapy and uh, as a criticism. Um, no one can bear your burdens unless you talk about it. It's not shy away from talk therapy. We need to talk. As I said this morning, there is much healing power going on when, when a frustration is just verbalized. You just verbalize it. The brain is doing some wonderful things in there that bring much healing. We need to talk. And then it'll, it allows for empathy, for someone to really sit with our pain and understand our pain. Hebrews chapter 4, 15 tells us that, that, that Jesus Christ, he's been 
He's been touched with the, with the feeling of our infirmities. Now catch this in Proverbs 18, 14. The spirit of a man, I'm sorry, let's go back there, Joe. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. All right. We are body, soul, spirit, right? Body we know, with the physical part of us. All right, and, and we've got the spirit. The spirit, the soul is our eternal part. Uh, it's going to go to heaven or hell. The spirit is our part that is quickened at salvation. We're spiritually dead until we receive Christ as Savior. And so when we receive Christ as Savior, the spirit is quickened, it's made alive, and the spirit is that part of us that can commune with God, that can talk to him, that can fellowship with him, right? But it says this, the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. So it's that part of us. When we are healthy spiritually, it will sustain our infirmity. Our, our hard times, it'll sustain us through the trials. But then it asks this rhetorical question, but a wounded spirit, who can bear? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is nobody. Your spirit is wounded? I heard my story this morning. I was just so, I was wounded. I just hurt so badly. That's what it was. Some people want to make it into something else. No, I was just hurting so badly. That's all. And I couldn't bear it by myself. I needed other people to help me through it. But a wounded spirit, who can bear? Next verse there, Joe. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. So here's one characteristic of Jesus Christ that we forget about. In, we, we should strive to be like Jesus, right? Love, compassion, grace, mercy, all those things, but also empathy. Jesus Christ was empathetic. He was touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And empathy and sympathy are two very different things, right? Let's say you have a friend. They fell down in a well, right? So they're, they're down in the well. Sympathy says, whoa, that looks bad. Ah, man, I, I'm sorry that you're down there. That's, that's bad. Well, at least you're alive. That's empathy, right? Empathy goes down into the well, sits with them, maybe puts their arm around them, and says, man, I got you. I got you. I'm going to stay here with you. I'm going to stay with you as long as it takes. I'm going to stay here right with you and just sit with people's pain. That's empathy. And we need sympathy is fine. We need more empathy. More empathy. You know, we allow people to talk. We start to understand people's pain. We get the whole story. Right? And we can help some people. Um, next, digging into the root issues. So I had to learn to talk to Dr. Pasquini, but I had to learn to talk to my wife. All right, men, hear me. <laughs> hear me. Let me come after you. All right, men? You don't like to talk. You got to stop it. We got to change this. It's not healthy. Right? Your wife is your help. She is your help. All right? You need to open up to her. And, and, and for a long time, I, I didn't just because I was so embarrassed. I was so sick of crying. I was even embarrassed to cry in front of my wife. Right? So I had to learn how to talk. And I was given an assignment every single day to talk to my wife about certain things. Wow, Jay, you were really a mess. Yeah, I was. Right? But I had to practice talking. And I did. And practice makes almost perfect. Well, close to not perfect, but, you know, practice helps. Right? And then so next was digging into the root issues. Now when Doc got me talking and all of a sudden I was safe and I knew that he truly was my friend and he was going to sit with me with my pain, he wasn't going to gossip about me, none of that. All of a sudden I really talked about some things. And here are a couple doozies that I realized were my root issues moving into July 26, 2014. I carried some baggage into that day. I carried some really big baggage into that thing. So here's the thing. That's why it's really important. Lighten your load because you never know when your July 26th comes, right? I mean, hopefully, I mean, I know, I understand this kind of one in a million type of thing, but we're all gonna go through some stuff. You never know when your really, really bad day's gonna come, and it's best that you're not carrying around really deep baggage. Like this, for example, all right, of course, I struggled mightily with guilt, the guilt of this thing. And so I was already, as I talked about my life and all these things and my kids, I was already struggling before I got to July 26th, I was struggling mightily with guilt. Um, as, a, uh, as, as a preacher, of, uh, you know, at, at the time, at 22 years, and, and I've raised four children, I really struggled with what I perceived as failing them, even before this. Because it, it's complicated sometimes being a preacher's kid. If you don't know, you don't know. And there's one thing I, I, I had to acknowledge, and I didn't acknowledge really too late, that I really, I can't actually empathize with my kids. I didn't grow up in a preacher's home. And here they are having to grow up in a preacher's home and living with standards that are high above everybody else's. That's hard for a 12-year-old. And so there were some frustrations and things that, have, have, that, that kind of came out. And I, I, was, I, I felt so guilty. I, I felt almost I, I struggled with this being a failure as a father. 
And then, of course, with our complications with JJ and my, and my kids missed out on so much, first of all, because they're growing up in this preacher's home. And so they're missing out on regular life. And I, I'm not saying I'm not saying I would go back and let them do sinful and carnal things. Don't get me wrong. Right? I'm not saying that. But still, there's there's some lines where we get into kind of ridiculousness and in, in, in rules and standards and preferences and things like that. Right. And making sure my kids, they, they line up and look right and all that stuff. Right. And putting that pressure on them. But then there's also the complication of J.J. And, and they missed out on a lot just because of our lives with J.J. And then, and then I knew stuff was just starting to kind of bubble up. And don't get me wrong, my kids are doing great. Praise the Lord for it. But we had some difficult times. And so on July 25th, I was struggling. And I'm really failing as a dad. I shouldn't be doing both. Maybe I could be just dad or be just preacher. But this thing together is, I'm no good at it. And then July 26th hit. I'm already struggling with guilt. You pour that thing on top of it? Whoa. I couldn't weather it. It's too much. I mean, what's, what's in there? You struggle with some type of guilt? Some type of guilt? And then the anxiety. We, we've always, we, we've kind of lived with a countdown for JJ. We knew, we, we've, been, we've been the recipients of, of, of services for him, therapy, school, things like the after school program. We knew at 22 things change. Uh, that uh, uh, services aren't as available or readily available to special needs adults once they hit 22. And so I've lived with this countdown at 22, man, I think my ministry might be over. I, I don't think I can do this. I can't the brunt of this. It's, it's really hard. So there was some concern over that. Maybe some anxiety as I count 22. So July 25th, I was struggling with some guilt. I was struggling with a little bit of anxiety. And then came July 26th. Boom. And then so I had to deal with these root issues. And folks, you need to be honest with yourself. What kind of baggage are you carrying around? Maybe you're carrying around some baggage of, of bitterness towards somebody, whether it be even a parent, a parent who, who might not even be alive anymore, but you're still carrying that around. July 26th is going to hit you, and it's going to hit you hard. you got to deal with that right now, and, and it let somebody help you let go of some things. So digging into the root issues, Proverbs chapter 4, 23 says this, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Go into there. Let's not just deal with symptoms, right? Let's get, let's get at the root causes. And so with that, one of the big things with my root issues was dealing with guilt. Talked about guilt. So here's the thing. Of course, I'm feeling guilty, right? And so what I had to um, really come, at, uh, come to grips with, have peace with, was understanding what guilt is. Now, guilt is this. Doc really helped me with this. Guilt is not a feeling, right? It's a condition. Because some people are guilty of crimes, they don't feel anything. It doesn't change the fact that they are guilty, right? Now for me, so Doc asked me, we're talking late at night. He's starting to unearth these things. He realized, wow, he has this guilt. And he says, Jay, answer a couple questions for me, right? You're, you're, just, you're just living in this guilt and it's destroying you. It's destroying you. Guilt's not a feeling, it's a condition. So answer these questions, two questions for me. One of these, what, are you, what law of the land are you guilty of committing, guilty of breaking, or what law of God are you guilty of committing? Which one of those two? And I wasn't comfortable with answering it. Mrs. J, in the silence on the phone, you need to answer this question. First of all, what law of our country did you break? And I said, Doc, I didn't break any laws. You're not guilty of that. Like, wow. All right, Jay, you need to tell me. Well, just think it. You need to say it. Okay, what law of God's are you guilty of breaking? I said, none. I didn't break any of God's laws. Jay, you're not guilty. God doesn't hold you condemned. You need to let yourself go as well. Wow. One of the big light bulb moments is understanding guilt. I felt guilty. I wasn't guilty. I wasn't. And so false guilt, you know what that is? It's shame. There's nothing wrong with guilt because guilt allows us to restore a relationship, right? We understand guilt allows us to see, oh wait, I've done wrong. I've got to, I've got to make this right. But shame, there's nothing healthy about shame. So I was living in this shame this whole time, every time. I mean, literally, every time I was in front of people, and that was every week, multiple times a week, I was ashamed of myself. Feeling guilty, but it took time to get a hold of this thing. I, I'm not guilty before God. I'm not guilty before the Lamb. And so, to get this thing, because he knew about releasing myself from guilt. And so I was given a daily assignment. Right? And this is how simple it was. It's kind of juvenile. It says every single day you're going to write down these five items that you believe you're guilty of, right, that you've been struggling with. And then you're going to go through each item and you're going to thank God that either you've repented of them and that he's forgiven you or you're going to acknowledge to God, 
I'm not guilty of that. And then you're going to crumple it up. You're going to throw it in the trash can. You're never going to pick it up again. I did that every single day for a few weeks. So, gee, that's really juvenile. I needed to. I needed to get that thing locked down into my heart every single day. I'm not guilty. I'm not guilty. And it took that simple exercise. Every and then we've moved into this. And here is the really, really big thing there. Mourning. Mourning. Grieving. Matthew 5, 4 says this. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. All right, here's the thing that I, don't, I just never saw. I've read this before multiple times. Comfort, it comes with a prerequisite. The comfort of God doesn't just come. You have to meet a prerequisite first. And what is that prerequisite? It's that you mourn. What did I do? I held in all the emotion as much as I could. I didn't give myself a chance to properly grieve. I didn't give myself a, a chance to properly mourn. And so I couldn't experience the comfort of God. And so all these well-meaning people who try to help me through this, I'd have these bad memories or what have you, and they say, okay, when the memory comes, you know, start, start quoting scripture or, or turn on some music and all these things that actually made things worse. And then Doc says, okay, no, throw that all out the window. Don't listen to any, doesn't matter who, where, what the title is, listen to Jesus. When the bad memory comes, feel every bit of it. Cry, wail, lay on the floor, mourn it. Stop holding it in. Stop trying to change the subject in your mind. It's not healthy. This is where you, that's why your blood pressure is where you are. Stop listening to everybody else and listen to Jesus. Men, sometimes you need to cry. And I know we feel like we, you know, we get this picture that we're always the ones with our arm around our wife with her head on your shoulders and she just weeps. Let me say, I, we switched roles for a long time. She had her arm around me and I just wept into her shoulder, just tears streaming. And I just, I just felt so weak. But I needed to, I needed to learn to do it. And now I just do it for fun. It's, no, I'm just kidding. So it was getting a little bit heavy there. So just kind of, you know, so, so I have a good ugly cry just for fun. You know, blessed are they that mourn. You know, I say these third world nations, they know how to do it. Right? You know, they know when something bad happens, oh, they're wailing. Ah! Yeah, Western culture. Right? Something bad happens, the show must go on. Right? Not healthy. Not healthy. The bad, see, some of you still, you're, you're suffering with, for, with some, some deep, deep pain. Maybe some of you just have to mourn the fact that you never had a dad. You just got to go and let yourself cry about that one. Thank God for the friendships and the other things that you had. No, no, I'm being serious. You didn't have a dad. But you have a father. You have a father, right? More than you lost a job. That's a big loss. More than that. It's okay. Cry over that. Spend some time mourning. So don't fight off the painful thoughts. Feel every bit of them, and then the healing will come. And then, lastly, lastly, control thoughts. Now, here's where it gets really pleasant and surprising. I mean, so I so remember this morning. I, I my my big problem. I spent too much time thinking. I failed, I failed, I failed, I, 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 failed my, I failed my family, I failed my church, I failed that family, I failed my youth group, I failed, and then it turned that, it took that dark turn to I am a failure. And I meditated upon that, so my brain created this reality that's not true, that this dude is Mr. Failure. Not true, but that's what I believed, and you weren't going to get me unlocked from that, right? And so I had to change my thing, I, got, I had to get away from that. So here's the thing, remember, we, talk, we, we saw right there in Psalm 77, even Asaph, the music director of God's people, right? He says, I remember God and is troubled. Sometimes spiritual stuff, spiritual concepts can be really, really difficult, really, really troubling, right? And so for me, I never stopped reading my Bible. I never stopped trying to memorize scripture. And even Job said it, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. I will maintain my own ways. It's very important. You're going through something difficult. Don't stop going to church. Don't stop reading your Bible. Don't stop praying. All those stuff. Maintain that. Right? But there's some things that maybe we need to add. Now, here's the truth. The Bible wasn't going to hold my attention long enough for me to be able to get control of my thoughts. And so when I was sent on a sabbatical, he just started to ask me, he said, you what are you interested in? And I said, well, youth ministry, expository preaching, illustration. All right, what, what kind of stuff? What, what do you think interests you? What, what do you think could keep your attention? I was like, well, I'm kind of interested in psychology because I kind of think you're evil. <laughs> and I, I don't want to know what I'm getting into. Yeah, that's, that's me, fundamental Baptist, right? It's like, it's like psychology is just, that's of the devil, right? And I, honestly, I didn't sit down with evil. Just to be honest, I, I'm just wondering what this psychology stuff is all about. So, oh, hey, you, you, you're interested in psychology? Well, here's a couple books. They weren't Christian. They weren't Christian books. But, you know, psychology is the study of the mind and human behavior. 
That's okay. Now, don't get me wrong. I know some people kind of twist that into some really weird stuff. And that needs to be done with some discernment. But when we're studying the mind like we did this morning, the choir of the mind, it's amazing that God designed this thing. So I said, okay, why don't you learn about psychology? And so I started reading these books, and it tension. I was fascinated by it. And then so for a long time where all I could think of, uh, I'm a failure, now I wouldn't think about a failure. I'm like, what is this psychology mumbo jumbo? It's like, oh, that makes, oh, that's why. Wow, and I was fascinated by it. It kept my attention. So I was able to think about rational stuff. Also, during my sabbatical, I, I went to different churches for a while. I, I had to get out of my environment, just stuff that would trigger me. Everywhere I looked at Lighthouse was a memory, right? Even though I t- I've introduced you to, to my friend Angel here, who was in my youth group, and, and Angel was part of the missions, uh, missions trip and everything. And, and he knows this, and we can laugh about it now. But for a long time, whenever we would hang out, we'd go out for coffee or whatever, when we were done, I would just throw up sick. And he was just a trigger for me, right? I'm about to have a panic attack right now. Just look at you. Why are you? I mean, it, it, was just, it was just that terrible. I had to get unlocked things. Now, now, he gave me a heads up and make sure it's okay if I come. He says, yeah, because a couple months ago we hung out, and, and we were good, right? I didn't die, okay? And, and so, yeah, so I was like, yeah, come on over. I think we're fine, and we're fine, right? And so I had to get these things unlocked for me and, and get away from triggers, and so I went to different churches, and I came here, and I gave Pastor Brian a, a heads up and just kind of let him know. So I'm not, you know, I know this is weird, but taking a sabbatical, I'll be here on Wednesday nights. Came on Wednesday nights. I mean, Brenda would come and sit in the back, come a little bit late, leave a little early. You might not have even noticed. Um, but on Sunday mornings, we'd go to different churches. And I didn't want to run into anybody I knew. I'm not saying I'm, like, super famous. People kind of know me because I'm, I'm the music guy at Lighthouse Baptist Church. That's how people know me. People at least recognize me. I know you from somewhere. I didn't want to run into anybody. And so I went to churches that, I, that don't normally fellowship with us. They're different. They're very different. It was one of those things where I didn't wear a tie and, uh, um, and some other stuff, all right? But, um, and so we go into these churches, right? And stuff is going on. It's dark. They're pumping in crowd noise. I mean, literally pumping in crowd noise from the thing. There's fog lights and lights and all that stuff. And you got the, the worship. And I'm not against instruments. I, you know, I, of course, I love the piano and this and that. I love the acoustic guitar, all those things. Even I like an acoustic percussion, the cajon. I love those things. It could be, all be done tastefully, right? And, and honoring to God. But I mean, we're talking about a real show. I mean, we're... I mean, it's just like... And so, um, now, I, I knew that they still use the King James, these churches, but I, like I said, I didn't want to run into anybody, right? And so we were going to these churches, and me and Brenda were just... Oh, it, it's, it's, it's not our flavor. Don't take that as condemnation. I, you know, it's, it's, just not, it's not our flavor. And we would talk, because I had to practice doing that. And... Uh, I said, you know what? What's happened there? I, it was that was Jesus okay with that? I just I wasn't sure. And, and so I went to the scriptures and I really started to study worship in the Bible. And in my endeavor, I had two months off. I'm going to read every single verse in the Bible that says worship. Every single and, and I did. I want to study it out. I want to make sure, hey, am I am I okay with this? What does this all mean? And then so there was another rational study for me, got my emotional mind chilled out for a little bit, and I could think rationally about something. So I'm studying psychology, and I'm studying worship in a very analytical, um, analytical, astute way, and I'm engaging what? The prefrontal cortex. I needed to get this thing working again. I needed to get the choir director directing again, because the tenors were, all right? So we needed to do this. And so rational thought was my study this and then here was a really cool thing miss this in the bible it's there go to proverbs chapter 7 last verse a merry heart doeth good like a medicine but a broken spirit drieth the bones a merry heart doeth good like a medicine all right so interestingly doc said okay every single day you're just going to call some time you're just going to watch something funny i can do that i like this kind of therapy right no you're just going to watch something funny it's in the Bible. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Here we are at work, and it's stressful. Nobody's funny. Everybody's grouchy, and we finish our days off that way, right? We need some medicine, and every single day, I still do it because I like to laugh. I'll watch some Tim Hawkins stuff. I might watch it multiple times. You ever heard of Tim Hawkins? Google Tim, Hop- Tim Hopkins. Tim Hawkins. He's hilarious. I hope that's acceptable, Pastor. Sorry. He's a Christian. He's a Christian, um, but, but he's, he's, he's really funny. A guy named Michael Jr., well, that guy, look him up on you. Anyone heard of Michael Jr.? Super funny guy, a Christian, real preachy, awesome. You will laugh. 
and that's medicine. This was part of my therapy. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. So in my tenor section, my emotional part of the brain was so used to negative, I had to, of course, I'm, I'm engaging the prefrontal cortex with something rational to get my mind off the emotional stuff, but then my limbic system, the amygdala, was too used to being negative. And so it needed some exercise of just laughing. And that's where the medicine is. And so when we laugh, you can look that up as well. The science is amazing. What laughter does and all the neurotransmitter stuff that's firing off, it's really, really good stuff for us. And so marry someone funny, right? Tell corny jokes, read something funny, watch something. I'm not saying watch garbage. We still are called to be a holy people, right? We are. First of all, we're called to be a holy people. There's funny stuff out there, right? Look up something. It's called dry bar comedy, right? Dry bar comedy, really funny stuff, clean stuff. Dry bar, I mean, the bar is dry. There's no, you know, it's, it's, it's funny stuff. And it's just good preventative maintenance stuff for you. Especially if you're living with chronic stress, you need to decompress. I, I wasn't even trying to be a rapper right there, but it just, it just came out, came out that I grew, I grew up in the hood and decompressing that stress, so. But here's the climb. Here's the climb. If you're needing to climb, have somebody help you, right? Right now, everything's okay. July 26 might be tomorrow. You never know. You never know. Let go of some baggage. Get some exercise. Get some sunshine. Just set yourself up. Just do well. Just make sure you have your brain in the habit of laughing. Take some medicine now. Let's pray. We head bow.